there, and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out the middle ground within the wellness world. We're your hosts. I'm Annika Buckle. And I am Jenny Omani. So today we're going to be talking about municipal politics and the umbrella concept of wellness. Oh, municipal politics and wellness. I know, right? I love this because I actually think a lot of the states are doing municipal elections right now, too. Like yeah, it's not it's, like I've heard just from like different podcasty people and like people that there's municipal stuff happening. I don't know if it's like federally everywhere, not federally, but you know what I mean? Like state countrywide in America. I don't even know if it's countrywide in Canada, but it oh, is well, here. Uh, good news. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> oh, I'm actually excited to vote because now I care more like I care more about my little neighborhood. So I, I actually was already October 15th ready. Yay. That's vote. good. Well, hopefully uh, if you're listening right now, by the end of this episode, if you feel like you don't care about municipal politics, you will at least a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's literally as close to home as you can get. <laughs> right. So um, there's kind of two, the twofold reasons that I felt like this was a good topic for us to topic, talk about today. First, because it is timely for so many people in Canada right now. Half of Canadian provinces and territories have elections coming up before the end of this year. So there you go. Um, second, I think it's really um, easy to brush away local politics as kind of like less important. Honestly, they're, boring. Like, they're just less sexy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like They I don't mean, get the same yeah. national media coverage. They can be mm-hmm. really niche and very hyper-localized in terms of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually in some cases they can work really dramatically different from city to city and province to province. So coverage becomes a little bit tricky. Um, today I want to talk about the way that local governments are actually deeply responsible for wellness within any given community. And I would actually argue at least as much, if not more than national or territorial policy, um, policy we see at a local level can really have a market impact on the health of a community. I think at least in Canada, when it comes to healthcare, when we see this split of responsibility between federal and provincial governments, um, I think partly that's why within the wellness world, we see a greater emphasis there. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that actually, but I'll save those for, for a minute. Um, but the thing is so much of actual, like capital W wellness, a focus on not just the absence of illness, but positive health is actually shaped at a hyper-local level. I think a lot of people feel like local government doesn't have much power because ultimately it's beholden to the provinces. It's up to the provinces to grant municipalities, you know, rights and privileges. <laughs> but what municipalities do actually have in every situation across the country is a lot of responsibility. So much of what happens at the municipal level has a direct impact on your life. And to your point, Jenny, your like little neighborhood. <laughs> And if you're from Vancouver, your bike lanes are very <laughs> controversial. You want to piss off people in Vancouver. Let's talk about bike lanes. That's like the only time I've ever really known who the mayor of Vancouver is, is when Gregor <laughs> was in office and he was bike leaning everywhere. And you get a bike. It's like Oprah. You get a bike lane and you get a bike lane. And then we will preferentially salt and plow the bike lanes over the roads both that anyways okay yeah so if you care about your bike lanes you should really care about this election (laughs) um but you know what it's funny right because people everybody has an opinion about that right and 
a huge percentage of people didn't even vote in the municipal election. And then, you know, I always kind of, as a political, with a political science background, I always feel a little bit like you don't get to complain if you didn't vote. Totally. If you, voted, you, you can complain, but yeah. most people don't vote in municipal elections. I'll share some depressing statistics in a little bit. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet the stats are terrible. I mean, if you look at like the federal voting statistics yes. yeah. in like a democratic yeah. country, how bad they are. <laughs> I can only imagine the municipal elections. Yeah. So just as a disclaimer, before we start, I'm going to exclusively talk about Canada today. I know we have listeners from other parts of the world. So, you know, just know that in your particular area, things probably look different. I also want to say that there are a ton of different ways that each province approaches the responsibility of their cities. Ontario has what's called laundry list legislation, which means each individual power must be named explicitly. Alberta has what's called natural person power legislation, which means that municipalities have the power of a quote natural person unless otherwise specified. BC has what's essentially a bill of rights for municipalities laying out both broad powers and specific ones. And this is even further complicated within some larger cities and urban areas. Vancouver will be an example I use a lot today because, you know, that's that's where I live. <laughs> um, but Vancouver is what's called a charter city and also has a tripartite agreement between the federal, provincial and city governments where all three levels of government agree to work together to solve urban challenges. Side note, if you've ever wondered why it seems so much harder to solve housing affordability and supply issues in Vancouver than in other parts of Canada. This is one of the reasons where they are quote unquote supposed to work together to solve these issues. What can, and I think what we've seen does happen is a whole lot of buck passing and waiting for other levels of government to fund or solve the issue and then blaming them when that doesn't happen. I thought it was just the real estate costs. They're like, it's too expensive to make affordable housing. And I was like, I get it. I, I don't mean, live in the city help. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the suburbs for that reason. <laughs> yeah. You and most other young families really. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this kind of gives a little bit insight as to why it can be hard and confusing when we start to talk about local government. I also want to clarify that when I say municipalities today, I mean that term interchangeably with all forms of local government, including regional districts, special purpose districts, and local boards and agencies. I will not be talking specifically about band councils, which are local governments which govern First Nations communities. It's not my place nor my expertise as a white lady, (laughs) but I will link resources written by Indigenous collaborators in the show notes. If you want more reading in that, I would recommend checking that out. Okay, let's dive in. What are some key responsibilities, especially as relating to wellness, that municipal governments have? They're responsible for things like libraries, parks, community water systems, local policing, roadways, parking. This isn't a six-hour podcast. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like it could be, but you're welcome that we, you know, do our best to be (laughs) concise. Um, So we're just going to talk about kind of a few key issues today, but I just want to kind of open with, I encourage you to take a look at any aspects of wellness that matter to you. I'm assuming you're listening to us because you care about this. (laughs) So whatever your kind of specific issue, your pet project is, I guarantee your local government has an impact on it. And so please just take this as a jumping off point to look into that a little bit deeper. And then you can't complain (laughs) if you don't vote. Right. Exactly. Mm -mm. 
So let's um, start by talking specifically about infrastructure around things like green spaces, shared spaces. I will note, I don't specifically have anything that we're going to talk about today around housing affordability, but (laughs) it's pretty friggin' hard to say you have access to wellness if you are housing insecure. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like a bedrock principle of so many of the other kind of nice to have extras that we're talking about today and to deny the critical role that local government plays in things like zoning and permit approval is to really ignore what I think is the bedrock of healthy communities. And also like, not just like a a dumpster dive of an SRO, the right, because I think that, um, there's a lot to say that when you provide people with housing that requires air quotes around it and that the public health teams that go in to check on people have to wear hazmat suits like that's not it's not housing Uh, sro is single room occupancy Occupancy. so that tends to be housing built in um housing insecure communities that are basically just like a room to live in unfortunately a lot of them in Vancouver are things like they don't have windows or mm-hmm. they don't turn on the heat in the winter or other really unlivable situations that, again, we see a little bit of buck passing. What's oh, their responsibility? What's oh, their responsibility rather than actually looking at how do we come up with solutions? Yeah. And they're in such derelict condition that as soon as they change ownership um, and the owner wants to do anything to the building, the building actually, they oftentimes are condemned. Like they're not even like they can't. So, so they just leave them the way they are because if they were to go in and adjust, and this is where these like this triphasic or whatever, tripart, apart, I I just heard apartheid. I was like, (laughs) that sounds divisive, but they're supposed to work together. (laughs) Um, Tripartite. Oh. So it's local, provincial, and federal. There are a few cities across Canada that have this and particularly it's common in urban areas, but the idea is it's supposed to help. Right. I think probably sometimes it does. (laughs) Like so many things like on paper, when people create these things, they're like, yeah. And it helps if people work together, but politically now we've talked about this is more at a federal level. Like people politically don't like to work together if they're not on the same team, Uh they like to work against each other, which is just so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So much of politics is broken. I mean, Let's table that. I feel like we could do a whole episode. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, let's talk about our municipal politics. I'm excited. So where you might not think that standing up at an all candidates debate to ask what everyone's stance is on parking is like very fun to do. The reality is when we look at decisions like that, it really impacts our ability to have healthy communities. Let's talk about something like green spaces. Is that empty lot on the corner of your street going to be developed into a parking lot, into luxury condos, into a park and playground? Those three choices alone will make a dramatic difference to your neighborhood experience. Um, There's actually a really fantastic article in the Lancet that I'll link in the show notes about how neighborhoods are healthier with access to more green space, which I think logically we can all like, hopefully we don't need to dive into that too deep for people to realize that makes sense. But, um, please help air quality. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, we talked about this, uh, in our 
prescriptive privilege episode a bit too. When people lack resources, money, or time in particular, it becomes accessible and imagine even enjoyable to head to the park for a walk where otherwise walking along the side of a highway is neither safe nor enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You know, walk on the road with trucks through strip malls or watch another episode on Netflix. Sometimes these things that are portrayed as simple choices are way more complicated than that. Um, well, follow the money. (laughs) What do you make more money off of building Uh a playground or building high density luxury condos? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I'll come back to this quote from the Lancet quote, long before evidence-based medical care became standard practice, doctors often sent patients to the country or the seaside to recover from ailments. Even without peer-reviewed research to aid them, they were well aware of nature's healing powers. I feel like there were a lot of conversations this spring around like, I just need two weeks at the seaside. I just need, uh, treat me like a Victorian woman with consumption. (laughs) recognizing the need for that, you know, rest and rejuvenation truly. Yeah. And it's, it's so whimsical too. The whole, (laughs) (laughs) off to the seaside, (laughs) taking in the air. (laughs) But I mean, the reality is right. Those air quality makes a huge difference to overall health. We know, you know, pollutants, like you were just talking about, you know, when we have green space in our neighborhoods, that's how we combat things like that, that are very much outside of our control in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to note that as climate change related natural disasters increase, the response and mobilizations of local governments are going to continue to play an increasingly large role here in mm-hmm. BC. We had those wicked floods last winter mm-hmm. and we saw it was the mayors and elected councils in particular in Abbotsford and Chilliwack, who were some of the most important drivers of support awareness, boots on the ground, looking at what people and their animals needed mm-hmm. decisions like allowing condos to be built on floodplains are the responsibility of municipal governments. We're seeing this right now in the Maritimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to talking about community services like libraries and community centers. A term I found in my research this week that I really loved is the concept of, quote, third places in strengthening communities. Uh, third places are places that are not someone's home, considered a first place, or workspace, considered a second place. A range of such third places from churches to beauty salons play an important role in community building. And it truly is impossible to talk about wellness without talking about community support and mental health. They're really two sides of the same coin. I think we also see in many communities, librarians kind of end up as like ad hoc social workers, especially as we see increasing cuts to formal programs and supports, helping local people, especially new immigrants, figure out the complexities of life, navigating the healthcare system, helping those with housing needs. Libraries and community centers offer all kinds of free programming far beyond loaning books. I know we've talked before about how important new baby story time at local libraries were for us as Mm -hmm. moms. Mm -hmm. Those things are significant and important. The Carnegie location of the Vancouver Public Library located in the downtown east side, which for those of you who aren't familiar, once dubbed, quote, Canada's poorest postal code and the epicenter here of the toxic drug crisis, administers Narcan regularly, literally saving people's lives. 
Many centers offer free Wi-Fi hotspots, and over the pandemic, some libraries were community hubs supporting everything from food banks to vaccine rollout, and even in some communities, wellness calls to seniors. I read and like bawled this very sweet article about the Toronto Public Library literally making wellness calls to seniors to check in on how they were coping with the social isolation of lockdown. Ah, well, our library, like our little tiny local library, is uh, there's like a little senior center attached to the community center, so it's like seniors center in the community center, community center, library. So it's all like a little hub. And And then of course, but there's also like a grocery store there. There's Mm -hmm. right. So, and it's so cute because you just see all these like very retired people sitting outside drinking their coffee. (laughs) It's great. Well, and that really is like what creates community, right? Is having spaces where people can come and be in community together. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Right. Because if it was like a dumpy, awful, gross, polluted space, you certainly wouldn't have a bunch of cute old people socializing. <laughs> totally. totally. I also find it so interesting that one of the calls, particularly within the anti-vax community um, around COVID stuff was like, why isn't the government talking about the importance of personal connection and staying healthy? When what we see is this is actually something that municipalities weren't just talking about which they were but were absolutely taking action on regularly well and like our medical face of it literally from day one talked about that right (laughs) so yeah I think I think it was actually quite well articulated now whether it was so the articulation and the voicing of it was Mm -hmm. very very um, prevalent, but whether it was accessible to everybody is something yeah. different. But the, the the verbiage was very clear on that topic if you were listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, m- like my local branch of the library here has a seed library that allows you to borrow and trade your seeds along with free courses on backyard and windowsill gardening, specific needs for an urban population. These are all things that create really healthy communities you know happening at that level I'm kind of jealous we don't have a seed <laughs> it's pretty cool it's it yeah, is it's we just have unique. books <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah no we we try actually we need to go do it more we used to weekly the kids go they all have their own library cards libraries are phenomenal and also if you're somebody who's like starting your own business and you need a quiet space to work libraries are great for that Um, libraries are great. If you have a teenager who has homework and the house is too loud, if you don't have a large house with like a dedicated workspace, like Mm -hmm. libraries are so, and they're free, like it costs you nothing and nobody asks anything from you. They, a lot of them have really good hours. Like it's a Mm -hmm. great place. If you just need a quiet place to work in any capacity, libraries are phenomenal. A lot of them have like silent areas versus not like Libraries are really, really underutilized in my opinion. Well, and I find the other thing I love about, li- like, I have such a, like, I love the library. Today it's a library so podcast. I know, sorry. I'm sorry, not Probably sorry. Libraries. libraries are important to your wellness. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I find especially, like, subversive about libraries, if you will, is under capitalism, there are very few spaces that you can exist for free. Totally. You exist Mm -hmm. for free too long on the street. You get 
pushed along for loitering. Mm-hmm. You exist too long in a store without buying something. Somebody gets uncomfortable and asks you to leave or calls security mm-hmm. or whatever that looks like. Libraries are places that you can exist without paying anything for as long as you need to, as long as they're open, maybe not as long as you need to, but. Yeah. And I think probably why they don't get as much focus from a lot of, I don't know, from a lot of people in different demographics is that they're not flashy. They're not exclusive. They're genuinely very accessible and they are, they, I don't know they, they kill it, man. If you go look at the stuff at your local library, like I think if you haven't gone to see what your library offers, you'd probably be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. I also found really interesting as I was looking at this this week that um, there are programs, federal access programs that end up being funded at local levels um, that allow smaller, more rural libraries to have interlibrary loans with each other without Mm -hmm. having to pay uh, market rate for postage. So libraries can send mm. books between each other for 81 cents instead of 1299. Oh, that's um, phenomenal. Right. Especially for smaller libraries that maybe don't have all the resources that don't have all the things mm-hmm. that you would need or want. Um, mm-hmm. these are the decisions that get made at a local level. These are the things that you can have a dr- direct impact on with the way that you choose to engage with local politics. And can I ask, I know that's how it is here, but is it genuinely how we, you know, how we do things, um, by city. So versus by, um, like, you know, how I, when I learned about redlining, for example, in the States, Mm -hmm. I was like, it was a totally foreign concept to me on a million levels, but also Mm -hmm. because the taxes for my neighborhood don't just go only to my neighborhood for schools. Do you know what I mean? Like it goes to the, the district. Mm-hmm. In fact, does it actually goes provincially? I think I don't even think it goes. It goes. It goes to a larger scale. I'm yes. not actually. I must admit, I don't know the degree of the extent. So when we're looking at Canadian, at least in British Columbia, I would assume this is likely reflective throughout the majority of the country. I'm assuming though, um, when we talk about municipal stuff, it's also ties in with the provincial um, how funds are allocated. So Mm -hmm. when you're voting locally, you're also accessing funds, not just from your immediate area necessarily. Does that make sense? Did I say that? So like, you're not just my, my, my taxes for me living here do not only stay where I live. Yeah. They go into a pool that is accessed. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a really important point. Yes. There are larger regional districts that are more affluent and larger regional districts that are poorer. However, um, it definitely is not funds for things like libraries and schools don't happen at the same hyper local level that they do in the U S. So I think again, that, um, comes back to like a real significant difference in our political ideologies where Canada tends to be more collectivist. Like I'm more than happy for some of my city tax dollars to go to supporting programs in other communities or even Mm -hmm. other people, even for programs I may never access. I'm actually really okay with that because I believe that those people deserve access to where the U S tends to be a little bit more individualistic when it comes to a little bit more significantly more individualistic when it comes to, well, this is my community and my money needs to stay in my community because this Mm -hmm. is where it was, you know, this is where I live and this is where it should go. Which is also why 
picking your local local representatives well is so important because they mm-hmm. they do have access to once again speaking to our area they do have access to funds from outside of their immediate area for some things i'm assuming it's not for everything like but for for some things at least there is access there that that comes from a larger pooled source well and sometimes it you know how much um, or the ways, you know, the particular ways that that gets earmarked that, you know, your local representatives are sitting at the table, making those decisions with, you know, the province with a larger regional mm-hmm. district with whatever that looks like. So again, that kind of ties right into what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think the last big thing, Um, the last big issue I want to talk about in, you know, kind of relating to local governments is their role in food security. So again, if we kind of look at calls from the alternative wellness community on like, why didn't the government talk about healthy food as a way to fight COVID? You know, the reality is because food doesn't fight viruses. (laughs) Point point number one. (laughs) And this also looks at, you know, how, how is that privilege accessed by different people right here in 2021 one in five kids in bc are growing up in poverty and if you can believe it that's still significantly better than some other provinces manitoba Mm. is one of the worst in the country um they have a child poverty rate of 28 percent what percentage of that is indigenous kids and immigrants Uh, probably right right? yeah Yeah. And I mean, if we start to control for other factors, even just here in BC, the picture is even more bleak. Yeah. Um, the poverty rate for BC children in single parent families is 49%. I mean, yeah. it's like not even surprising when you hear those stats, but it's still, when you hear it, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not surprised, but you're like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it will. Exactly. I mean, we could talk about how the risk of poverty makes people stay in physically or emotionally unsafe relationships and how detrimental mm-hmm. that is for wellness. But I mean, honestly, that's probably another whole episode mm-hmm. because, um, again, these are problems that are happening at a systemic level. Mm-hmm. Um, local governments also have the power within the production side of food. We know here in Canada, net farm incomes are in decline rising fuel prices impact our ability to move food around mm-hmm. and farmland is a finite resource at risk of erosion by development directly a local government issue and climate change that's what we are going to continue to see with food security globally but especially for us in Canada because we do produce a fair bit of food for the mm-hmm. world here those things matter on a global level not just on a local level Mm-hmm. No, no, it's such a good point when you talk about food supply, because I, I feel like that's just something that has been so talked about with Ukraine. And I mean, who knew other than people that work in that industry that so much grain came from right. Ukraine? Bread basket I, of the world. I, I literally mean, had never heard that no, phrase. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Right. I, know. I didn't know. And I think with how sort of tumultuous the weather has been. Mm-hmm. In the extreme end, I mean, as we speak, Hurricane Ian's doing oh a God. lot of damage in Florida. Yeah. Um, and, Cuba. and I mean, it's just, and Cuba, and well, I think it's done its damage in Cuba and it's moved on. I don't think, I think the entire country doesn't have power in Cuba. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but as we keep having these more and more extreme mm-hmm. weather things, um, as 
uh, politics and government gets more and more heated. Italy's, you know what I mean? Italy just elected their first uh, far right prime minister. Fascism, but make it girl boss. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but as we see sort of this instability, Mm -hmm. uh, food supply is, becomes more important. I can think it's something we all just, not all of us, those of us who've never financially struggled to obtain food, we've just assumed that the supply of food is related to our ability to buy it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think if you struggled with food security, you think about that, unless you have direct impact at some point of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. It's very easy for us to put out of our minds and to not think yeah. about, first of all, because most of us are so overwhelmed with just basic tasks and keeping ourselves alive that yeah. it becomes so far out. But second of all, because capitalism has made it invisible, capitalism mm-hmm. has made farms invisible. It's made mm-hmm. food trucks invisible. It's made all of those pieces other than the end result that we directly interact with invisible. Yeah. And so many of us, uh, I mean, like, yes, people have their little gardens and whatnot, but your average person in an urban center is not growing food and doesn't know how, or, you know what I mean? Like if you stuck me in a farm, I'd be like, okay, I mean, (laughs) shit, what do I do now? (laughs) My tomatoes grew great in my backyard. Like, yeah. Well, and you know what, actually that you, you're, you, thank you for the perfect segue. Local governments also create and run community garden programs, mm-hmm. particularly important in urban areas where land isn't as readily available as we see in some rural areas. Um, data shows that areas with a high percentage of renters have mm-hmm. especially high demands for programs like this. In my very, very urban community, the wait list to get into our local garden is literally three years long. <laughs> oh, Wow. Yeah. I love the local gardens. And when they, they made it, that is a Vancouver thing where I think it's just a Vancouver thing that the, the gas stations, cause there's literally yeah. none in Vancouver now. Like actually I think there's two. Yeah. It's shocking. There's, mm-hmm. there's like less than five gas stations in the entire city of Vancouver. And I'm, that is not a hyperbole. That is like actually the number, but, um, they can either let the land sit for X amount of time, or they can, um, Uh, like do a full environmental cleanup, which is really expensive, but Mm -hmm. they basically pay almost no or a very reduced um, property tax. If it's a community, if they convert it to a community garden, so you have all these like super random (laughs) community gardens everywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, I feel like that could be a Portland thing too. I don't know. I'm guessing. Like it's city it feels like something, feels like something Oregon would do. Right. Yeah, totally. But it's so fun because you mm-hmm. see, and they often have like dingy, like chain link fences, but on the inside, yeah. they're all raised garden beds. Yeah. 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 They're great. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we could have a whole separate side conversation around like what happens when the gas station gets to sell it and now it becomes condos again. But anyways, mm-hmm. again, all of those development conversations, yeah. we can table the 15 for years of it being episode. a community garden. It's, it's <laughs> Better than zero years, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, local governments are also responsible for farmers markets. Not only. No, they're not. These- yeah. What? I thought those were just like uh, independently, like someone's like, I'm going to put together a farmer's market and they have to source like a venue and whatnot. Like what? Yeah. 
I mean, you look at it, you, th- you look at it and you think about it, right? The, it happens on city land. It typically sure. is some sort of city program, right? Like, oh, I just assumed the city can, that people can be bought. And so they pay for a permit <laughs> like anybody else. And like, they get a permit and whatever. Oh, I kind of love But I mean, how do you get a, how it. do you get a farmer's market permit? You get it from the municipality. Well, totally. Right? Yeah. I just didn't yeah. realize that they actually organized farmer's markets. Or they're responsible for the permitting and the zoning so somebody else can organize them. But ultimately, who you vote for impacts whether that permit is going to get approved, whether the funding is going to be there to supplement it, whether Mm -hmm. the fees charged are going to be, you know, reasonable for your average farmer who wants to come and, you know, sell their turnips. Um, Supporting local farmers not only can make smart financial sense, but helps to shore up local resources as we look to a future that will very likely continue to have supply chain disruptions strictly from climate change alone into the future. I think you could also argue that the health of the planet as we eat more local from concern about pesticides or biodynamic crops to greenhouse gas emissions, Mm. to the cost of fuel, (laughs) to the Mm. environmental cost of extracting fuel. Um, you know, we can see this direct impact at this hyper-local level. Um, The reality is, you know, as a bonus for cities, they typically require very, very little funding outside of, you know, whatever land use or promotion is required. Um, So this is a very affordable way that municipalities can work to actively support wellness. Um, The last part of food security I want to touch on is neighborhood food access and city planning. Now, this is something we've talked about a little bit before, the idea of food deserts or food swamps, Mm -hmm. but this really is a key part of accessibility. When local governments intentionally include grocery stores in any redevelopment, in particular in your city or low-income areas, they increase access for low-income individuals, families, seniors, or anyone who lacks reliable access to transportation. Mm-hmm. Zoning bylaws are really at the center of policy with a direct impact around this particular issue. If you're looking at municipal candidates in your voting process, look at questions and answers around zoning as it relates to food access. That's really interesting. I never thought about it. But of course, like when you're making retail spaces, a supermarket needs to be its own when you're building, you have to build a space versus like, oh, we have, you know, multi-purpose office spaces or, or, you know, street level retail that businesses can just come in and now it's a restaurant. Now it's a, you know, a shoe store. Now it's a, yeah. Yeah. But you're right. That grocery store is, it's such a significant footprint and unique layout that you couldn't just pop it up in a shoe store. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only other thing I want to add in around local politics before we wrap up is I think so often it can fall prey to, you know, people over policy when we look at Mm. participation, I find it really mm-hmm. fascinating that so many people within the wellness world in Canada, and I mean, this ties so intimately back to our Wellness Goes Alt-Right episode. So if you haven't listened to that, it's a good one. Go back and, and take a listen. But there's this like almost kind of rabid focus on the demonization of Justin Trudeau within federal mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating that so often, at least on, you know, the dog's breakfast that is social media, this is kind of one of the things that gets leveled back. Like, go, oh, you think Trudeau is so good? 
I mean, no, actually no. I don't, but it's almost <laughs> irrelevant, isn't it? <laughs> I keep thinking about this meme I saw a couple of weeks ago, kind of along the, we are not the same memes, the catchphrase mm-hmm. that's like, you pray for me to fall. I pray for you to get back up. We are not the same. Only it said, you hate Joe Biden because you think he's a socialist. I hate Joe Biden because I am a socialist. We are not the same. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's so true. It And it's, and that's the thing with federal politics is there's such a face mm-hmm. to it with, I find with the municipal stuff, like I'm always like, like our, our local one, I don't know if you're the same, it's October 15th for us yeah. here. Yeah. Every, and everywhere s- in BC has a oh, yeah. election. I don't on. know yeah. what any of these people look like. <laughs> I'm just going through and, and to be honest, for me personally, I'm really happy with our current status quo. So anybody that's rerunning, you did great. You did it. You did it. You get to do it again. You can do it again. Right. Yeah. So it's, but it's worth looking like, I know for me personally, as somebody who is really not that interested in politics, the way, but the way Annika is like, whenever I approach an election, I guarantee Annika and I do it very differently. <laughs> Annika is like, there's no that, wrong way to do it. There's no wrong my, way to do it. <laughs> so my, so here's my tip. If you also do not enjoy politics, um, first off, I do enjoy some types of politics, but I don't enjoy figuring out who I'm going to vote for because I find the way we vote in Canada, so much of it is like, I might have to vote strategically versus who I mm-hmm. actually want to vote for. And anyways, but when you're looking, especially at your local stuff is look at your area. Like is your, for, for us, like we're in a really small area. If somebody's going to be pro increasing density here, that's just not something that I want. We don't have enough roads to support a high density area. We don't have like, for me personally, density is like something that I find really important. Um, if you're somebody who, um, you know, you look at your priorities and look at your neighborhood and see if there's something that's like kind of irking you or something that you really like, because if they've done something like, um, put up a bunch of patio seating, like during COVID when they wanted everybody outside, if they put that all up and the plan is to take that all away, but that's really important to you. I guarantee stuff like that is written into somebody's platform. So like, just sort of look at your neighborhood and look at the things you love and the things that you really don't love. And, all of this stuff's available. Everybody wants you to vote for them. So they put it all out there. Mm-hmm. Like go find, like, honestly, find a grassy knoll near your house. Everybody's <laughs> signs will be there. And you just like <laughs> Google them, Google them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that kind of like nameless, faceless piece is more prevalent in uh, urban politics than it is in rural politics. Mm-hmm. In a small town, you're going to have the incumbent and I shouldn't generalize, but I think oftentimes, Probably especially know in rural Canada, you know, you have the incumbent mayor who's running against somebody else. Everybody knows both of them. Somebody, you know, taught one of them in kindergarten. Somebody else used to, you know, buy their like wool from their what mom, whatever, right? There's these really deep connections. And I think mm-hmm. this is where it sometimes gets easier to find that same piece that we see in federal politics. Like, mm-hmm you know, it becomes like, well, I didn't like the way that his wife talked to me in the grocery store rather than like, well, actually, you know, he's got some great ideas about the library. (laughs) And if you're a conflict hater, like I am, Annika and I really don't enjoy conflict. (laughs) We're just talking about that. But, but looking into your local politicians is there's just so much less animosity. Mm -hmm. Like it's just less like it, it, your central nervous system doesn't get triggered the way it does when you're looking at federal platforms where you're like, Oh, oh like <laughs> I feel unsafe reading your platform. <laughs> totally. 
Totally. And I mean, I think exactly this it's a lot issue. like milder. <laughs> Oh, Local sometimes. politics is generally milder. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is, I think that this kind of issue is one of the biggest threats to democracy that we see because a democratic society requires a free exchange of ideas to make informed judgments of them. You also where... have to vote. Democracy yeah. <laughs> requires voting. <laughs> Funny that. Kind of the crux of it. Yeah. And when the discourse becomes more about, you know, the um acquisition of power and mm. less on the pursuit of a truth or a middle ground if you will or even what might be the most workable solution you know this is where we have emotions start to usurp reason this is where we start to lose people in you know political discourse mm. um this is where we can start to veer into fascism if we're not careful about how we listen to and speak to other people Mm-hmm. I have to say one of my big priorities going forward with voting is who's like, honestly, this is so cheesy, but like a team player, like who sits <laughs> down and actually just listens to, right? Like I am so sick of just people deciding that they're going to oppose something because the other side or somebody they don't align with suggested it. Right. Even if it's a good idea. <laughs> like and and maybe it's that middle ground part where maybe there's mm-hmm. you can tease out parts of whatever the idea is that are going to be beneficial but yeah you're a big team player well and i i also think this is a good opportunity to plug you know often municipal politics can have a slightly more level playing field than mm-hmm. provincial or federal we see more women we see more minorities Less money involved. Um, less money, right? I mean, unless you're in Vancouver and then everybody's in the pocket of some developer. But yeah, anyways. <laughs> there's that. Um, you know, these are also important things to look at who we're electing, how do they represent our community? Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is important. Um I've Dan and I watched this is a total sidebar, but Dan and I watched a movie this weekend um around kind of the some of the biggest issues in politics that I found really interesting. It's called Irresistible and it was directed by Jon Stewart. Um, If you're interested in this kind of thing, it's like, it's entertaining. It's a movie. It's not a documentary, Um, but a very interesting look at the ways that money uh, distracts from policy within the way that we elect at a local level. And again, I mean, it's America, so it looks a little bit different than it does here. One of the things that I also want to call out, if you're absorbed in American media, one of the things that can make local politics more complicated is we don't have, like at a local level, you have in the US, you have Republicans and you have Democrats. Mm. Whereas okay. here at a local level, we don't even have, there's no liberal conservative NDP. They don't have parties. You've got They're just people. the one first party. You've got the yeah. one, two ABC party. You've got the uh, all of ours everyone here, together party. All of, most of ours are just like literally people. They're all independents. Right. So it some becomes, of them are affiliated, but a lot of them are independents that don't. But even if they're affiliated, you, you don't know what that party is. You've never heard of it before. Totally. Probably, yeah, it doesn't right. <laughs> are you right? Are you left? Are you center? It becomes we don't have the same markers, which is, again, yeah. one of the things that can be overwhelming for people when they vote. Um, so I'll just wrap up with those sad statistics we were talking about at the beginning in the federal election in 2021 in Canada, 62.5 percent of people voted. And this is one of the one that people were like really angry and everybody hated Justin Trudeau, but like, 
almost 40 percent didn't hate him enough to do anything and the largest percentage is always over 65 right so especially as Mm -hmm. you know younger people it's particularly important if we want to have our voices heard that we get out and we vote um typically federal elections can tend to have the largest turnout yeah. So, uh, municipal election participation in Canada generally is a little bit closer to 30 to 35%. Which I get because to be honest, the only time I started voting municipally is when I had friends that were involved in the elections. Right. Like we have a friend here who runs for school trustee. And then Dave has a good friend who's um, quite involved in local politics, but if it wasn't for literally zero degrees of separation. Right. And it's like, well, if I'm going to go support my friend, I may as well take off the other names on the ballot too. <laughs> yeah. Can't yeah. just go vote for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the more involved you get within communities, the more important that starts to feel like the yeah. school board and the school trustees start to matter when you have kids at a yep. school level, you know, when you have things happening in your neighborhood that you don't agree with. Unfortunately for most people, it does take that, you know, zero to three degrees of separation before we start to care. But mm-hmm. um, hopefully you've been inspired today that if you care about wellness, so much of wellness is shaped at a local level. So your vote matters and you should probably do it. No pressure, but also (laughs) you can't complain. (laughs) No vote, no complaining. Thanks so much for listening to meet me in the middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.